Talking, talking heads to my talking head? The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things talking heads. This is good rock and roll music. So I get the title right? Yeah, I think the the debate was is it the 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 current title? Are you talking heads to my talking head, or are you talk? Are are you talking talking? <laughs> it's not even head? R. The no. R is not in there in the first place. <laughs> what, oh, it's let, you. It's you. you. Let me look at the logo. What is what? Uh, let me see uh, if I can find a logo. Here you talking talking? You talking? You talking with an apostrophe? You talking talking heads to my, to my talking, talking head. head? That's what it is. You talking okay. talking heads to my talking head? But my. Uh, your your pitch was my pitch was you talking talking heads to my head that's talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Which I I I do not think is better. So hey, don't look. It's a zero sum game. Both make suck. no mistake. <laughs> zero sum is right. Um. Speaking of, why am uh, I yelling? I feel like I, I, I don't know. Usually, you're you, because you're recording in your closet. Usually, you are uh, uh, silent as the grave. You're trying to whisper as to not uh, right. uh, tip your children off as to your abhorrent nature. <laughs> you know what's going on is that uh, recording here in my closet, rather than in the studio when we can hear ourselves in our headphones, mm-hmm. I cannot hear myself in my headphones. So it's just, uh, that's why I have one of my headphones sort of off my ear so I can hear myself. Mm. Do you hear yourself in your headphones, Scott? I have a uh, iPod headphone in in this ear underneath this pair of headphones in order to hear myself. Tell me how you do, how do you do that? (sighs) You buy a second, okay, let's go back to the beginning. The Big Bang, do you know what that is? Uh, Well, it's the beginning of... Everything, right? The universe. Everything. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a giant explosion in the universe, which created okay. everything. Um, smash cut to. Sorry, is this an episode of Talking About the Bang? I think it might be. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Talking About the Bang. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And this is just a show where we talk about all things bang, whether it be the Big Bang, whether comedy it be bang bang, comedy bang bang, whether it be the Big Bang Theory, whether it be bang bang into your heart, whether it be should I get bangs or, you know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Oh, man, what a good movie, huh? Great Wait, movie. Is this I Love Films? I think so. Hey everyone, welcome to ILO Films. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And today we're talking about a wonderful, wonderful film. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, filmed in the 2000s. Am I right about that, Adam? Yeah, the second renaissance. That's right. 
Mm, and we're, of course, talking about kiss, kiss, bang, bang. A kiss, kiss, a bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. That's right. That's how you say it. Um, great film. Uh, great film. I've never seen it. Oh, cool. Me neither. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Good app. Yeah, sure. Have you seen that movie, though? Uh, I have. They haven't, apparently. But uh, No, neither of them had. I'm asking if you have. It's pretty personal. I'd appreciate it if you would... Uh, you know what? You're right. None of my business. None of your business, especially on an episode of Talking About Bang, where... Wait, is this an episode of None of Your Business? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. That's none of your business. That information, by the way, it may be. It, right. It very right. well could be. But it's, it's not my place. It's This is an episode of Nunya. Right. Hey everyone, welcome to Nunya. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And today we're talking about... Uh, it's a subject matter... Yeah. God, how would I describe this? It's kind of Nunya. Honestly, it's Nunya. Right? It's kind of Nunya. Nanya. Hey, Nanya. Hey, Nanya. Nanya, Nanya. Oh, Nanya. 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 Oh, little Nanya! Little oh. Nanya! Come here, little Nanya! Such a cute little Nanya. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. In any case, um, we are talking about Bang. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, that, uh, the Big Bang, basically, there's a whole theory about it, um, an important event, according to some people. Some people Where think it's. Where would we be without Young Sheldon? Some people think it's total bullshit. Yeah, M- most people, most thinking people, think it's total yeah. bullshit. That's right. Um, they think that basically, uh, uh, <laughs> it's such a strange collection of people who think. I mean, we have an instruction manual for life, just sitting around there, and it's called the Bible. And it tells us how the world was created. So this whole Big Bang Theory, it's like, you know, come on, guys. Check out your Genesis. Check out your Exodus. Check out your Leviticus. That's right. Check out your Deuteronomy, first and second. Yeah. We're talking uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Intelligent uh, design. Intelligent, intelligent design. design, exactly. Thank Remember you. Remember that? Remember when that was the uh, thing they were going to be teaching in schools, right alongside evolution? Right alongside. They were going to. They were going to basically have two teachers, one teaching evolution and another one teaching intelligent design, right next to each other, at holding the same hands time. at the same time, holding while holding hands at the same. It was going to be confusing. It was. I mean. I think that was what the deal breaker was about it was these teachers didn't want to hold hands. I mean, some of them were married, some of them were in romantic relationships, some of them Wasn't were abstaining from really it was inappropriate. And they were both both teachers would be talking at the same time and 
uh, but they had they were they had to scream. Uh, yes. Everything they said, it had to be a, a full scream. Also, it would have been loud. Full scream. Why wasn't this scream franchise called Full Scream or know. Full Screen? Well, the box set. Uh, of all the Scream films, uh, the Blu-rays, it's, it's called Full it's Scream. Full on Scream. <laughs> yep. Full on Screaming with the Scream Gang. And the tele- there's a television show too, so that's in there too. Oh, that's Full in there, scream. yeah. Also, anytime anyone screams in a movie, you know which movie, by the way, there are tons of screams in? And what? I know this, this is... I know that we're sort of infringing on our sister show, I Love Films, at this point, but I don't think they'll mind. But... Uh, a little movie from, I believe, 1960 with Tony Perkins in it called Psycho. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that movie. Yeah, there's uh, one or two screams in that that are pretty blood-curdling, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I think so. There's there's also, there might be a couple, uh, couple of little pitter-patter screams in a movie I like to call Jaws. The big guy. The super big the guy. The super big guy. Yep. Chaws. 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 Um, all right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Good shit. That was really good. It was uh, longer than uh, than they usually Any do other for talking that about they've ever bang. done. <laughs> yeah. Um, why were we talking about, why, why do we even get in there? Well, I do, I do want to welcome everyone to the show. Uh, this is, uh, oh, that's right. We were talking about the title. You talking, talking heads to my talking head and, um, an abrupt left turn from, from our last episode in the middle of last episode where, uh, well, in the middle of the episode of our sister show, uh, are you talking RHCP re me, um, where we, figured out that uh, perhaps uh, 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 we were not having as much fun uh, doing the RHCP show as as we wanted to be having uh, after our taste uh, was sort of, uh, uh, it was not necessarily tickling our fancy, if you know. Well, I think fun and red hot chili peppers are two things that go together like peanut butter and jelly as far as I'm concerned. They go hand in hand like two teachers teaching about Evolution and intelligent design. That's right. Um, but I think I think maybe those early albums we just weren't as uh, psyched about. I, I maybe one day we'll return because I at least started being a fan uh, later on, and and I I do like them. But at, for the time being, we decided to diverge into the Talking Heads, and it feels yes. like uh, the right uh, the right pl- the right place. Have you seen those Divergent films? Oh yeah, that's what I was hoping we would talk about. <laughs> Why don't we do a different show about the Divergent film series? Well, yeah, there is a different show about the Divergent film series. What is that? It's called a uh, different show about the Divergent film series. And is this an episode? Yeah. everyone welcome to a different show about the Divergent film series. This is Scott and this is Scott and we are th- look we have to establish we are a totally different show. A different show. I mean, not n- definitely not the same. No, 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 no. Show that that you were just listening to. No, 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 no. This is about the D- Divergent film series. Yes, but it is a different show 
uh, about the Divergent film series. We're talking Divergent. We're talking the Divergent series Insurgent. We're talking the Divergent series Allegiant. These three films are probably the best three films in the Divergent series. Yes, they are by far the only ones, but also by far, and this is it's not mutually exclusive, the best ones. Definitely. And we're talking producers Lucy Fisher, Douglas Wick, Poya Shabazian even. We're even talking uh, them. We're talking director Neil Berger of the first Divergent movie, which is the titular Divergent. Neil Berger, who also directed the, the movie where Bradley Cooper takes the pill and he knows everything. I want that pill. Limitless, of course. Oh, uh, give me that pill. By the way, did I ever tell you about Limitless? I've seen it. You don't have to tell me about it. I saw <laughs> okay, that movie. But I, have, but I do have a story about Limitless oh. that I also wanted to tell you after I told you about the, the film Limitless. Um, I, uh, I once rented a house in uh, sort, of, sort of on the West Coast, uh, on the west side of Los Angeles. And uh, uh-huh. I don't want to give too many details about the house, but it was a very interesting house, which I can tell you about offline. But I don't want to point to who this gentleman is. Uh, unnecessarily and give him any uh, uh, unwanted detention. Oh, I want to know but, everything uh, about the, what you can't say right now. <laughs> um, and I feel like if I gave you the details of whose house it was, maybe some person who knows this person would would say who it was. But I will say part of the appeal of renting the house supposedly in the ad was that it had a 24-7 caretaker who was always around to chat if you wanted. Is this an attribute? <laughs> That's what we could not figure out. So you know Tall John, of course. Yeah. Um, we were on the very last day, we'd rented it for a week. And the very last day we were in the pool and it was some of our only alone pool time we had, just me and my bro, Tall John. What do you mean alone pool time? Because the caretaker was around so much? No, because, well, because our, our uh, significant others had all oh, I see. Okay. gone off on a hike or something like that. So we were, we were talking, and then within 10 minutes, the caretaker came and got in the pool with us and then talked to us for how no. long, would you guess? An hour? Three hours. <laughs> Why? Oh, God. Why would you stay for three hours? Because I, I have a... A, a thing about seeming rude. Yeah. And so I just didn't want to be like, okay, bro, see ya. So um, it was a but, dude that that was the care... Was he just a lonely the, caretaker who bothers everyone that rents the house? I think so. But I will say the Fuck. funniest thing that he said was we were just talking about our lives and he was like, well, yeah, I do. This is my side gig and I'm actually uh, a writer and I created the the movie and the TV show Limitless. What? I said, oh, wow, that's so cool. I mean, I really like the movie Limitless. Um, so your name is, you know, on the movie or did Clearly you Clearly not believing he- him right out of the gate if you're asking if his name is on the credits. Well, I think he had a unique name, which I had never heard of. So I think I was trying to suss that out. But I was like, so did you get rewritten what, uh, or was your name actually on the credits? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. They ripped me off right. and and made the movie and I'm gonna sue them. So yeah. I got so I got that going for me. So everything's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's I, I would say, and I'm all for, you know, 
credit where credit is due. But I would sure, say you got to put credit where it's due. Absolutely. That's where you put the credit. That's where it belongs. But I would say that you're a few steps away from being able to to tell people I created the movie and the TV show. <laughs> If you're just a lawsuit away from even getting them to pay attention to you. And he hadn't even started the lawsuit was the impression I got. You know, he was like, I'm gonna have a lawsuit, you know. But I admire the chutzpah of it. Um, it, It reminds me of when I was... 13, I was in eighth grade and I used to draw a lot. I don't know if I've ever talked about that on the show, but I used to want to be a cartoonist when mm-hmm. I was uh, in probably like 10 to 14. Mm-hmm. I, I want maybe to have like a daily newspaper strip or something like uh-huh. that. I think we all um, went through that stage. <laughs> but I was, a, I was a pretty good artist and uh, I started wanting to draw comic books. And that all ended when I got into high school and my friend Phil, who had been the best comic book artist in his junior high. And I was uh-huh. the best comic book artist in my junior high. Right. We suddenly came together and were in the same classes and he was way better than me. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to quit. And then he went on and he's one of the most successful comic book artists ever. Phil Jimenez. Shout oh, out to that's Phil. incredible. Uh, drew the X-Men and, uh, and Wonder Woman, wrote, the, wrote Wonder Woman and all sorts of stuff. Wow. In any case, so I wanted to be a... Uh, I wanted to be a an artist, and so I remember, uh, uh, like, Mad or Cracked or one of those, they, they used to have parodies of whatever the popular TV shows were oh, yeah. at the time. They both did, essentially. Yeah, so if it was the A-team, it would be, like, the B-team. Yeah. Or something, you know, and then every character would be, like, Hannibal would be Cannibal or, you know, yep. and it would just make fun of the shows, right, and all the cliches that are on the shows. So I remember I remember drawing one of these uh, sort of inspired by a, a television show at the time, and I remember a friend of mine came over and was like, um, wow, that's really good. You know, I have a, a, a cousin or an uncle who works for Mad Magazine, and he would totally buy that. Wow. And I was like, whoa, okay. And you well, were great. like 12, me- 13? 13, yeah. I was like, great, let me know. Um, he, I go, I go, how much do they usually pay for that? He goes, oh, they pay like $150. Whoa. And I was like, okay, great, let me know. And I went for all year thinking it was going to happen and yep. telling people like, I'm going to oh, be in yeah. that magazine soon. That's right. They're going to buy <laughs> and, my drawings. <laughs> right. And then I also remember that uh, my parents had started giving me allowance at the time. I think they gave me $75 a month or something uh-huh. like that. But I, I had to buy all my clothes or whatever I wanted, any yeah. move, you know, anything I wanted to buy. And I remember them yelling at me for spending all my money on comic books like way too early in the month. Like it yeah. was all gone, yeah, you yeah. know, like, like by the fifth or whatever. And in my mind, just thinking like, you guys are going to, I don't care about money. I have $150 coming to me. (laughs) I'm going to wave $150 in your face in a matter of months. And then I remember around the end of my eighth grade year, just me thinking like, huh, that never happened. Yeah. And he never mentioned it ever again. I feel huh. like my friend might be full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> or just he thought it was good and then brought it up to someone and 
his uncle or whatever was like, no. Did you ever get clarity on whether he actually knew someone that worked at Mad Magazine? No, or? no. I've you know there there are several things that I've never gotten clarity about in my life. I think I've talked about them either on this show or another show. And the main two, and that's one of them. The main, well, that's that's the third. The main two are my friend from college who weirdly I was just on a zoom call with and I I didn't have I didn't have the stones to bring this up and ask mm-hmm. him for clarity on it but if a friend of mine from college mentioned that he uh the gin blossoms were traveling through his town and the drummer broke his foot that day and so he stepped in and drummed with them uh-huh. that night <laughs> he learned all their songs and drummed with them that night, and uh-huh. I have never believed it. Yeah, <laughs> and so, but I always want to—I I need to talk to someone in the Gin Blossoms. Or wait, how long ago did he tell you this? This was—he told me in 1993. It must have been or 94 or something. And ever since then, you've been like, huh? Okay. I've looked for articles. Yeah. Ha- have did the dr- drummer of Jim Blossoms ever break his foot? Has he ever talked about it? I've never seen. And you and you didn't bring it up because you thought it might get weird, or you forgot. I d- I just kind of like asked him questions about it, not believing it the whole time, trying to yeah. see if he if there Poke would ever be any it, holes. Yeah. But but he was committed to it, and then and 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 anyone else I talked to about it was like, oh yeah, that's bullshit. But I mean, like the other day when you're on a Zoom with him, you didn't bring, did you think of it and didn't bring it up? Or I, did you, the minute something? he came on, the minute, I've thought about this story for, for years. And the minute he came on, I went, oh, wow, I could ask about this story if I had any courage. But it, it was a Zoom call. It was like a college reunion Zoom uh, call. And it just, d- with like 30 people. And it didn't seem like it was the time to go like, hey, were you lying? Yeah. <laughs> you, you should email him because I want to know if that's bullshit or yeah. not. Well, here's the other one. The number one that I think that I've always wondered about is um, in 1990, it must have been 92 or 93. I was in Orange County and um, I remember I would go to video stores and look for like new releases of video, you know, movies and videotapes and stuff and and constantly buy them. And um, I was always, I would always just out of hope look in the Twin Peaks section because- They had released the pilot as a single videotape, and then they'd released, I think, episodes one through eight or two through eight as mm-hmm. as a box set, but mm-hmm. they had never released any of the the second season. Um, and so I would always, in kind of in vain, I would go to to the TV section and look under Twin Peaks and see if there had been any release or anything, and there never was. But so I was in this this video store in Orange County, and I um, asked the clerk there hey has anything new in twin peaks come up and the guy looks at me and he's got kind of like long hair right yeah in a ponytail and he goes oh you like twin peaks uh i wrote on twin peaks Mm. my name's harley payton and i knew the name harley payton from the show right so i'm like holy shit wow and I was always, I was in in my mind i was like well why is he working in a video store and then i thought well of course i mean writing TV can't pay the bills all the time, you know? Like, maybe he's like a Quentin Tarantino kind of guy who works in a video store who also writes, you know? Right. Um, and But I just don't think it was him in retrospect because yeah. Harley Payton is, is on Twitter right now, and I've never written to, to him to, to confirm this, but it just doesn't seem like he came from Orange County or ever lived there. Or well, I, did I you know. ever, like, look him up on Wikipedia or anything? I could right now. I, I did, yeah, and it never mentions anything about... Uh, uh, 
Orange County huh. or anything like that. But le- let's check out Harley Payton here. He went to Harvard and Stanford. Hmm. Does that sound like a guy who's going to be working in a video store? And 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 he also like he wrote an uncredited revision of the Three Musketeers, and that was in that same era. That's in that same era. So why why would he? And he wrote the screenplay to less than zero. Sounds like the guy working at the video store knew a name of someone that wrote on Twin Peaks, was really proud of that fact, figured no one would call right. him on it, and just was bullshitting. I certainly did not call him on it. But I've, I I do, uh, and, and and maybe I should before this comes out, uh, uh, reach out and get some some clarity on this. But those were my, my number three questions. Well, I mean, there's also my question of like, who robbed my condominium that uh that i lived in uh quite a few years back when i stepped out for an hour left the door unlocked uh and came back and when i came back 500 of my dvds were missing ah that's a total bummer and i i remember i sat down i turned on the tv and i looked at my shelves and i was like i did like a quadruple take and i was like what the did i take these down what did i put these at what happened and just realizing someone had come in and just ripped me off. I always, I, I figured it was my across the hall neighbor, but uh, I've never got confirmation on it. Because back then you could just take DVDs and bring them to Amoeba and get some quick cash. But I also, she was nuts. So I don't think that, that, that she did anything with them. I remember Kulop knocked on her door to let her know that someone had come in and, and yeah. robbed me. And the first thing she said was, do you want to check my apartment? There's nothing here. Uh, (laughs) So I'm pretty sure it was her. She was missing half of her brain, she told me the first day I met her. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, listen, either she was missing half of her brain or she thought she was missing half of her brain. Either way, uh, I I feel the story, it all kind of makes sense. Can I, you know, I have one thing, only one thing. Yeah in my life that is 100% unexplainable that I've never been able to piece together. And I don't believe in ghosts or any sort of supernatural anything at all. But this right. is the you one don't thing. Even believe, you don't believe in heaven or souls? I don't believe in heaven or souls, or I don't even believe in, uh, in the souls that are on shoes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're. I've always noticed... You sort of you sort of Flintstones it. That's right. You have bare feet under those. Bare, very calloused feet. When I was like 12 or 13, same age, my friends and I were walking around at night because we had nothing to do and didn't know anyone who drove a car. You know, it's that age before you're friends with people who drive or whatever. And sure. how, how deep in, in the night is this? Is this like... I mean, it's probably like eight or nine o'clock. Uh, out in Capitola, which is like a section of Santa Cruz because I was spending the night at my friend's house. Anyway, my friend, my friend's brother and I were just walking around in Capitola. And we had, I think between the three of us, we had like $4 or something. Mm, That's not bad for back then. Not bad. There's a drive-in movie theater, right? The Skyview Drive-In. And we're walking by and we're like, I wonder if they would let us in and we could just go sit and watch a movie like, because there's like a swing set there or something. Like, I wonder if we could right. just go and sit down. So we are walking towards the entrance. 
And we're like, we only have $4 between us. I don't know how much it costs. And on the ground, there's a manila envelope, but it's <laughs> a, a manila envelope in the sh- shape and size of like cash, like those ones they, that you actually put cash in and give to Meaning people. rectangular or? Rectangular, <laughs> a small rectangular. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's like, a, unlike other envelopes, this was rectangular. No, but it, it, it's in the, it's for the purpose of putting money in. It's one of those. Okay, okay. Sure. And I go, what if there was the exact amount of money in this envelope that we would need to get in there? Again, not knowing how much it would cost anything. And we're like, that would be amazing. I pick it up. I open it. We all look into it and it's empty. Okay. Like, oh, whatever. We throw it back on the ground, walk up to the entrance where cars are going in and out and (laughs) ask the guy who's just like, these dumb little kids are trying. He's like- between the th- for the three of you, you need eleven dollars. Get okay. out of here! I'm busy. Whatever. And we're like, ah, fuck. so you need seven. You need seven more dollars. Need seven more dollars. Okay. We are walking back out like shit. What are we gonna do for the rest of the night until ten when we have to be back? Whatever it was, and we right. come across that Manila envelope again, and I say to the other two guys, "What if we open that envelope now?" And there is seven dollars in there, and they were like. <laughs> Okay, yeah, whatever. I go, I grab it, I open it. There is seven dollars. What in the envelope? The hell? That happened. That's the craziest story I maybe ever heard. Happened. I mean, the cra the craziest part to me is that movie tickets at this drive-in cost three dollars and sixty-six cents a piece. Well, the drive-in <laughs> was super cheap. Do you remember? Did you ever? Well, sure, but it's just such a weird price. Well, it was three dollars like, and sixty-six cents a person. It was like ten dollars a car or something, and he was just like cutting us a deal, whatever it was. I By don't making you the pay exact. one more dollar, I don't. I don't remember the price structure. <laughs> All I know is when we opened that, it was the exact amount we needed, and that that thing is was so empty. crazy. Th- this sounds like a like a magic envelope, like like the magic box and lock in Lost or something where yeah. like you could ask for anything from it and it would appear in there. That's right. And did you, did you keep the envelope? No, I, I took the money out of it and threw the envelope on back onto the driveway. <laughs> um, and we didn't even go back into the drive and we just went and spent the money on like, I don't know, candy or something. <laughs> Meaning uh, if you had $11, you'd rather spend it on crack. <laughs> Uh, amazing. That isn't is that a weird? crazy story. I wonder if these other two guys, the Keetle brothers, uh, would remember this story as well. I, I, it, it seemed, how could you ever forget something like that? I know. Um, and you know, you know what I can't forget is the one time I went to a drive-thru and I saw the movie Divergent. All right. Uh, we'll see you next yeah. time. Bye. Bye. Wow, interesting app. That was a uh, long uh, episode. Long, but and not very informational about the Divergent film series, other than casually mentioning the producers at one point. No, I think there's one plenty, writer. plenty of info in there, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, speaking of info, I need to give some info about this show. Um, I, I hate to go so long without having introduced ourselves, but uh, my name is Scott Ackerman. I am the... the uh, Host of Comedy Bang Bang, uh, director of the Between Two Ferns movie, other things. Adam uh, almost needs no introduction, but I'll let him uh, introduce himself. Go ahead. Hi, guys. My name's Adam. Um, I hail, 
which means I come from uh, Northern California. It's where I grew up. Uh, I'm down here in Southern California now pursuing a career in show business. Um, I have a family. I have a house. Very lucky. Uh, and I use Kleenex uh, from time to time, uh, just like hmm. anyone. What do you what do you use Kleenex on? Well, depends. Like if there's, uh, you know what? L- lately, if there's gunk in my dog's eye, I'll grab a Kleenex and I'll try and get oh, it out. Oh, yeah, that's prime Kleenex usage, yeah. right there. But it's not limited to that. I use it for all kinds of stuff. Oh, okay, but w- would you say ninety ninety five percent of the time it's to take gunk out of your dog's eye? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's mostly what Kleenex is meant for. So that's mainly what I use it for. It's the eye gunk cleaner uh, kind of subset brand of Kleenex that they that they put out there. Did you know that Kleenex, Kleenex originally was called gunk out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but then they thought, you know what? Everyone, when they're talking about tissues, it says grab a Kleenex. I forget what the term for that is, where a product name becomes the, the accepted name of something well it's um, called gunk out because the kleenex was the first one so it's just called right oh, because it's a gunk out everyone was saying like oh grab a kleenex grab a kleenex and they're like this is a golden opportunity yeah we should we just call it. ourselves kleenex you gotta yeah. do that yeah q-tip is another one of those yeah I, what is the term that's gonna bug me so i'm gonna look it up do you mind if uh, i'm gonna q-tip that, that right out of right out of uh, my hair that sort of thing i'm looking up kleenex and q-tip eponym eponym that is list what of, it is. Wait, let's look at the list of brands that own the market. Uh, other eponyms are Band-Aid, Coke, Coke Escalator. Yeah. Escalator is an eponym. Escalator. FedEx. That's a, br- that's a brand name. Yeah, apparently. Google. Because uh, Ask Google, Jeeves is so pissed off about Google. Jeep, obviously. Jeep, by the way, was a Popeye term, I believe. They called it a Jeep because... Uh, that was a character in Popeye. I'm going to look up that. This is a. I mean, you're learning a lot on this. It says uh, there that Netflix is owns the the term for DVDs by mail. <laughs> so that website is <laughs> is uh, brand new. Jeep and uh, well, it's not on their their Wikipedia page, but let me look up Jeep and Popeye. Okay, and let's see what comes up. Jeep and Popeye. Here we go. Eugene the Jeep was a character in the Popeye comic strip. This is weird. And- this is a weird one. And uh, I believe the makers of Jeep called it that because of Popeye, but there's nothing on Eugene the Jeep's Wikipedia page either. But I'm uh, I'm fairly certain that uh, maybe th- maybe there's some money changed hands of like, hey, let's never talk about Popeye's connection to Jeep. Yeah, probably. Also, saltines. You were saltines, right about Polaroid. Q-tip. Q-tip right there uh, with a bullet. Rollerblade. That's uh, 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 of course another eponym. Taser. TiVo. TiVo not uh, as popular. TiVo really went for it. Oh yeah. For a minute, TiVo was going to be the eponym of all eponyms. But then people just said DVR. Like, I feel like the DVR market just really pushed for people to stop saying TiVo. I feel like people still say TiVo sometimes, though. Sometimes. Did Did you ever sign up for the TiVo lifetime service? God, I don't know. What was that? Was it like 400 bucks or something? I think it was only like um, around what I would have been paid for Mad Magazine back in the day. 150 or so. <laughs> but because um, it was like a monthly service. But you didn't have to pay for TiVo. You just It was just a recorder you that you bought. No, you did. You had to buy the recorder and then hook it up to the internet. And to use it, you had to pay like a monthly service. Or you could pay the Uh-oh. lifetime service. And no. I... Sorry, go ahead. No, 
No, no, go, no go, I'm go. wrong, or no, you never did. No, I, I'm just thinking of the very first TiVo I had was not internet. Uh, compa- it, it, you did not hook it up to the internet. You just hooked the little uh, IVR tabs up to your cable box, and it would turn the channels for you and record whatever it was. Do you remember that look TiVo? At TiVo is still charging, by the way, $15 a month, a one-year commitment. For what? Or for what? That's the thing. You get you you get TiVo like every cable company or direct TV gives you a free TiVo now. It gives you a free DVR. Oh, it says TiVo targets cord cutters with a DVR. So they must be providing coverage? Providing Who knows? TiVo? You got a bad business plan, although if you wanted to sponsor this show, I would heartily endorse you. Absolutely. I, I didn't even know they still existed. Did you cut your yeah. cut cord yet? Cut, cut the no, old I've, cord? No, I've, I've not cut the cord. Um, I have cut the cheese occasionally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know what you mean, but what, what does that mean? How did that ever start? Cut like, the, cheese? the cheese? I don't know, but I Let's still love that it. Up. I, I realize that this has become the... Uh, the I, looking stuff up on Wikipedia show, but it, I still but love cut the cheese. Why though. did they call it that? Cut the the idiom references the foul smell emitted by some cheeses. That's uh, exactly what I thought it would have been. Many of which have a rind that keep the odor in. And then once the rind is pierced, AKA cut, as in the case of slicing it, the smell is released. Oh, and we have the pronunciation of cutting the cheese. Should I play that clip here from? Yeah. <laughs> Cut the cheese. Wait, what? <laughs> Play that again. Cut the cheese. <laughs> Wait a second. Guy, Wait a second. English guy doing it is the can, best. Can we can we add another pronunciation to Wikipedia? Because I feel like that we should just add one that's just <laughs> totally because that's. Anyone can edit Wikipedia, so we should. We should add add, our own. Yeah, let's do it. Cut the cheese. (laughs) Cut the cheese. (laughs) I feel like who who did they get to do this? That guy was actually talking about cutting some cheese. He was not referring to a fart. (laughs) Oh, what if they hired that guy to do it? (laughs) But then as a verb, it says, hey, who cut the cheese? (laughs) Yeah, use it in a sentence. Hey, who cut the cheese? <laughs> wow. Ah, <laughs> oh, so Not good. Bad. So good. Not bad. Um all right. Well, we're going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food today. This is exciting. Talking had second album. We're going to be talking about it, but we do need to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about more songs about building and food. We'll be right back with you talking talking heads to my talking head. We are back. You talking, talking heads to my talking head. We're going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food today. But before the break... Adam Scott um, and I were talking about Mad Magazine. And Adam, you mentioned you went to uh, to the offices of Mad Magazine with all the usual. What is it? The all of the, the usual, usual gang cases. of idiots. Oh right, yeah, um, yeah. When I was 
I believe like 11 years old, I took my first trip to New York with my dad and stepmom. And, did you go to uh, the statue? We did not go to the Statue of Liberty. We went and saw a Broadway show, though. We went and saw Little Shop of Horrors. Wow. Or with, with the yeah. original... The original cast? I don't think so. I feel because I think I had already seen the movie, so it was like a revival. Well, um, the movie came out in '87, if I had to guess. I would, yeah, I was gonna say '86. I feel like this is '80. This is probably '84, '85, since I was like 11. '86. You're yeah. December 19 of '86 is when it came out. Huh. So maybe and, this was before that. Yeah. Maybe. So have you were before. 11. What year were you 11 in? 84. So, yeah, this is probably like one of the original. This may be the uh, 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 well, off off Broadway was the the 1982. Yeah, it was after that. So it would have been somewhere in the 84, you say? 84, Hmm. 85. Okay. Well, anyway. uh, Oh, okay. You you probably saw Claire Moore, who replaced uh, Ellen Green. Ellen Green. And you probably, man, Ellen you probably saw uh, Zeta Messiah, who took over as Chiffon in 1984 as well. Yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, we also saw Dames at Sea, uh, which my uncle Roger Morgan did the lighting design for. My uh, step-uncle, oh, wow. Roger Morgan, who's great. Anyway, we were in New York, and um, I... in I, I The whole time uh, uh, before we left for New York, I had looked... You know, at the front page of of Mad Magazine, like the masthead, way down at the bottom in tiny print, it says, it it shows the address, an address for the- Oh yeah. For the magazine, so- They they had that on like DC Comics, which was on 666 Broadway or something like that. And so I always thought, oh, how cool it would be to go to New York and just go to the office. That's right. So my dad and I, I just wrote down that address that's in Mad Magazine and we went to the office- On what? Uh, just a, like a slip of paper. What do you mean by a slip of paper? Uh, like a, how do I explain it? Uh, you, you know, paper, right? Just like regular dime store. Everybody knows paper, of course, comes from trees. Yep. If you please. Regular tree paper. I grabbed a piece of that. That was probably like eight by 10 feet. Uh, Did you get it from the tree itself? I got it. We had a tree in the backyard that we would shed paper, uh, off Mm. of super thick. Uh, paper. Um, so I wrote it on that. Anyway, we went to the Madison Avenue and just sort of went up to the 18th floor or whatever it was and knocked on the door of this office. <laughs> and my dad the whole time was like, this is probably, this is probably just going to be, you know, just some like receiving mail receiving room or something. He just thought it'd be like, yeah, a post office box or yeah. something like that. And we go in and they're like, hey, how you doing? And William Gaines, you know, the like, yeah, big dude, the big bearded guy. Yeah. Uh, they brought us around to all the artists and writers rooms. And I got to go into William Gaines office and meet him. And they were all whoa. so cool. Um, I think Al Jaffe was there. Oh, Don, Don Martin was not there. That's who I was like most excited for. But what about Sergio Aragone? No, he was not there. By the way, we have so many Sergio Aragones books here because uh, you can find them on eBay and they're all like out of print, but they're like two bucks and they're all worn out, but they're all there. All those little 
paperbacks. Yeah. Well, wow, he wasn't cool. there either. But there it was awesome and they and they let me take as many mad magazines as I wanted from around the world and all these different languages. So I just filled my backpack with uh Whoa. with all these uh it was the coolest. What, was there anything that was previously in your backpack that you had to throw away in order to make room for? Let's see, what did I have in there? I had a lunchbox, of course, because I was in New York. Oh, of course. Um sure. <laughs> and then I had a sushi making, just one of those bamboo uh, oh, things yeah, you yeah. roll. To roll up the rolls, yeah. That's right. So I had three of those because uh, it was sure. New York. Um, I had to throw those in the garbage. Um, mm. and, then, and then just like a really small but very, very uh, heavy uh, glass bottle collection uh, that I would carry Whoa. around with me because it was in New York. Um, sure. Oh, you were in New York. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I had to throw sense. that yeah, out. Yeah. And and then just a pistol. Oh, yeah. Because I was I in mean, New York. I mean, back then, in those days, you could take anything on a plane you wanted. Could take it on the plane. Everyone in New York had a pistol uh, that they would just have in their hand, and they would walk around with them. When you uh, took a plane ride back then, everyone would have a gun in the cabin and just be like shooting them off. Yeah. Various times. Especially in, when I was that age, I was going through a, a stage where I, I always, always carried a piece. Sure. A sidearm. A sidearm, yeah. Back then. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's an incredible story. Did they mention that this would happen all the time? or were They or, did. They. I remember them saying every once in a while, a kid shows up with his dad or mom. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, but it doesn't happen all the time or anything and they're always really happy to have them and it was that awesome. must be amazing i mean i i i uh please don't ever come by the earwolf studios but but if i were making mad magazine and trapped in an office and doing i mean doing a creative job that's fun but you're in a new york office all day yeah Dude, how fun would it be to have a little kid who like idolizes what you do come by the office yeah. one day amazing. also we took a trip to la when i was like 10 or something and i had I remember I freeze framed freeze a, frame a TV show and got the address of Paramount Studios and we went, or it was free Arsenio Hall show so it must have been later but I freeze framed the end of the show and got the address of Paramount and made my dad drive there thinking I would just pull up to like a house and Arsenio Hall would be there and I could go talk to him. But it was, we pulled up and it was just giant, you know, studio. Was there a dog pound there or? <laughs> I did, I did get to go in the studio audience of Arsenio Hall a few years later when I moved here. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And I was, I was not in the dog pound, but I did give the, give him a couple of those. The finger. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I went to, I think uh, my friend was directing the Bill Maher, uh, what's the show he does now? Real Time. Mm -hmm. And I went and was in the studio audience in that and was embarrassed because they they made us uh, give him a standing ovation. They like came out to coach the audience yeah, beforehand. Like, yeah. you all love Bill and want to give him a standing ovation, don't yeah. you? And so uh, there there must be an episode out there where I can be seen in like a crane shot giving Bill Maher a standing ovation. <laughs> Wait, is that the show he's doing now? That or was it like yeah. politically incorrect? Remember that one? No, I th it was. It's the show he's doing. He's been doing it for a while, I think. Um, and I remember it was right above the Price is Right. It was over there in yeah. CBS Television City. It was right above the Price, Price is Right. And my friend took me down there to uh, spin the wheel. After oh yeah, I sat in the audience of Price is Right once. 
did you uh, uh were you hoping stage? to get no. called no i was not so cool and i when we first started going out her and her three roommates we were all going to go to prices right and i had a different friend who worked as a page at the prices right and she said okay i can't like tell them to bring you up on stage to be a contestant but what i can do is give you tips on why they yeah. why th- the types of people that yeah. they will call because they go around interviewing everyone in line before yeah. they get in they go first of all look look the people right in the eye when they're talking to you seem excited to be there but not insane <laughs> okay but because they said when the adrenaline comes in, if you're already like insanely excited, it doesn't It's going to get really weird on TV. Yeah. But if you're just like, seem like a regular person and yeah. seem, you know, fine, then uh, the adrenaline will like push you up to kind of insane looking levels, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we, we were going to get up. I remember, I remember reading about how, how early you had to get there, right? Yeah. Because it says 8, 8 a.m. taping. And I remember reading, like, you got to get there at 5 in the morning oh, in order to, to get in, right? Jesus Christ. So we all... Um, so even though you had a friend that was a page, you still had to do all this shit? Yes. Ugh. So we went and made T-shirts um, for Cool Up and her three roommates that said, uh, Barker's Beauty in Training. Um, and they were all matching t-shirts oh, and we were like, Christ. one of us is going to get called yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah. So did you wear one of those? No, I, f- I think I had something, but I can't remember what it was, but it obviously wasn't that. So we set the alarm for like 4.30 or whatever, Ugh. slept through it, woke up at like 6.15, yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> and, and then went down to the studio Got there by 6.45. Had to wake up all the other roommates like, hey, we overslept. We overslept. Yeah. Got there at 6.45 or 7. And they were like, no, no, everyone's already in. <laughs> Are you kidding? Get it. Yeah. <laughs> so we never we never got in. Oh, my God. I remember standing in line for a long time and I was kind of embarrassed because I was an uh, actor already, but I was just doing like guest spots and stuff. And you're yeah. not supposed to do it if you're in show business because they ask you what you do for a living. And I was right. like, uh, I work at a dry cleaners uh, <laughs> as if I had some big career that that they would uh, that would right, check up on this. But I was like embarrassed and I didn't know I didn't have any connection or anything. So we did have to stand in line for like two hours because it was my girlfriend's mom wanted to go or something. Some, I don't know. Mm. It was was uh, it fun, though. It was fine. I, I don't really remember that much. But I also was I was in the audience on. uh for the Dennis Miller show. Do you remember that? His first talk oh, show. Oh yeah. Is this the HBO one or Oh no, that's right. This is this was the syndicated one that was on, I believe, KTLA out here. Yeah. That's right. And uh I really I remember really wanting to enjoy it a lot because I was yeah. a big Dennis Miller fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And R. I. P. His his comedy career, I mean. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Not uh, him. He's still with us. He um I remember Cowboy Junkies were on the episode I saw and I yelled during a moment of silence that in the Cowboy Junkies song because I thought the song was over and I just went, Uh, yeah, and then the (laughs) song kept going and you could totally hear it. And after the after they finished, Dennis Miller gave me a bunch of shit 
And that was like, he like pointed you out. Oh, totally. Like talk. Oh, wow. He pointed me out and, but they didn't turn around and get the audience. Uh, but he was, it made it to air him like giving me shit, but they didn't like show. And I remember I wished that they would, because I wore an turn the camera shirt and I wanted to be on camera. (laughs) Um, is, is that on your reel right now? Tell me the truth. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) God, I wonder if that's, uh, on YouTube, or I'm sure it's not. Oh yeah, look up Cowboy Junkies Dennis, Dennis Miller. Or just look up Dennis Miller Junkie. Okay, let's see what we got. <laughs> yeah, if that's up there, actually, I'll I'll look it up because uh, we can't hear it if you just play it. But um, Cowboy Junkies Dennis Miller show. Here we go. Video Concrete Blonde and the Cowboy Junkies in '94. Is that it? Or Concrete Blonde? No, Cowboy Cowboy No. Uh, it would have been probably 92 92 or 93 oh this is uh cowboy junkies this is jay leno obviously not uh dennis miller uh the poor man's dennis miller as we used to call jay leno (laughs) really um concrete blonde joey oh no you're not talking about concrete blonde you're talking about cowboy junkies cowboy junkies and uh, at this, as of press time, I cannot find this video, but uh, uh, sounds like a wonderful television program that I would like to see if I ever had the opportunity. But today is not for talking about Dennis Miller nor the Cowboy Junkies. It is for talking about talking heads to our talking heads. Is that right, Adam? That is correct. And we are talking about a certain talking heads album called... More songs about buildings and food. Buildings and food. Wow. And food. 1978 is when this album came out. This is, of course, the uh, follow-up to 77, which we talked about last uh, episode. And uh, let's give a little bit of background on this this album. What do you say, chum? Sure. Uh, Okay, so their first album... We were talking last time how it had the uh, producer who was John Bon Jovi's uncle. Now, a a little tidbit that I found out uh, in between our last episode when I wasn't prepared and now is that they intentionally, uh, we talked about how he's sort of a disco producer. Right. Um, The record label intentionally gave uh, or sort of forced Talking Heads to work with him because they wanted him to sort of make them sound not as right, weird. like more poppy or whatever. As they normally do. Yeah, so um, for this record, they were able to ditch that thinking. And instead, and boy, here's a character we haven't talked about in a good long while. But they get old oh, sourpuss. Oh, of yeah. course. Of course he has to show no. his face again. Of course, he's got to pop up like a bad penny. Um, we're talking about Brian Eno, Mr. Sourpuss. Uh, sorry, we talked about him sorry, a lot Scott. On... I just have to interrupt you for a second. I, I'm, I can't let that slide by. I, I know it's just an expression, but as far as I'm concerned, there are no uh, bad pennies. That's true. I mean, wait, is this? I forget what talking our about money show was. <laughs> no, it's not talking about money. Although that's a great show. But there was something about coins <laughs> two episodes ago that I can't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't even remember, but it is not an episode nope. of that because uh, it, were it to be, I would remember it. Um, so yeah, Brian Eno, 
Uh, we talked about him a lot on our U2 show, so uh, we can talk about him here. By the way, uh, Great Coins was, <laughs> I'm being told, it was our Great show. Great Coins? Great Coins. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, oh, fuck it. Let's sure. just do it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Great Coins. This is, this is Scott. Scott. And we're, look, we're talking about Great Coins. Listen, there are so and many. On our last episode, we admitted that we hated coins, but then suddenly Scott over here brought one up and I knew we had to do an episode. The little one cent coin himself with Mr. Stinkin' Lincoln on it. We're talking about the penny. Stinky Linky. (laughs) Good old Linky Stinky. Um, Yes, that's right. One of those rare human beings to be shot while watching a play. Listen, there's, there's, it's the simplicity of the penny that I, and I always, you know, if you know me, you know that I take issue with anyone who's talk smack about the penny. That's right. It is worth one, one cent. uh, One one hundredth of a dollar. That's right. You get a hundred of them. You got yourself a dollar. Okay. With a dollar. Look, and that's legal. That's legal tender. That is legal American tender. US Anyone has tender. to accept that. You bring a penny into the U.S. Treasury, knock on the door, Washington, <laughs> D.C., hand them a penny. They'll be like, all right, come on in. It's Get a penny. in here, bro. Yeah. And you got yourself a job running the U.S. Treasury. That's right. Um, are they square? A penny? Yeah. Well, that's a really, uh, really good question. I would need to... I don't have one in front of me, so uh, mm. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to wait till next episode to answer that question because I, I, I unfortunately I don't have. I have a quarter here. Uh, Is that square? Well, let me take a look. Um, hmm. No, it's not square uh, exactly, but in certain light, maybe you could say it's uh, hmm. it's square-ish, but. Uh, for now, I'm just going to say it's not. Uh, but as far as a penny goes, I have no idea. Thought it was a penny, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's <a> gross. Quarter. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Good shit. I never yeah, thought yeah, they'd yeah. come back again after that last episode when they admitted they hated coins. Yeah, you would you would think that's kind of a uh, deal breaker. Yeah, right you can't you can't continue the show after that. But. <laughs> sure, um, a lot like our uh, sister show. Are you talking RHCP or me? Um, that's right. It'll be back. It'll be back. Uh, so Brian Eno, uh, we talked about him a lot during our U two show, but uh, let's recap if people have just joined us. Uh, he, of course, was uh, this English dude. He still is an English dude, as far as I'm concerned. Who. Uh, Met Roxy Music's Andy McKay on the subway station at a subway station, and and they, I don't know, they decided to jump Brian Eno into the band, even though he couldn't play an instrument. Uh, he joins Roxy Music, where he doesn't even play on stage with them for most of it. Uh, when they play live, he just like sits off, like in the back of the house, sort of like with telling them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. He's like messing around with tape recorders and like, quote, treating, unquote, their sounds, which who knows what that means. Um, But basically just scowling at them the entire performance. And then at a certain point, he realizes in the middle of a a Roxy Music gig that he's thinking about how he's going to do his laundry 
the next day and he realizes that he needs to quit the band <laughs> two records into Roxy Music. Wait, and he's what? so bo- he's so bored that he can't even focus on playing the gig. He's just like mentally checked out and thinking about doing his laundry. So he quits the band the next day. Was Brian Ferry like, oh, well, fuck you. <laughs> your laundry? I mean, your laundry. Your la- Look, Eno, I'll sing about laundry if that's going to keep you yeah, in here. Yeah, I mean, w- good God. <laughs> um, I guess he had been having some disagreements with Brian Ferry as well. So he just was like, uh, uh, you know, according, according to your friend Dennis Miller, I am out of here. And he scribbled yeah. on a bunch of papers and he and just shot it off into the, <laughs> into the ether. So that was in the early 70s. Uh, We pick up the story with Talking Heads. Uh, This album came out in 1978. And basically, like, Brian Eno, old sourpuss, he comes out, he has a solo career, he has four really good records, uh, which are sort of glam uh, records. Yeah, those are terrific. He uh, also starts producing with David Bowie, where he does the uh, uh, Berlin triptych. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, he's done low already. In the same year, I think, he's done low. Uh, he's, he also does, uh, he produces Devo's Are We Not Men uh, this year as well. And Pretty incredible. Gets, pretty incredible. How he gets uh, uh, intertwined with Talking Heads. Now, there are a couple of stories that I've read. One, uh, and the, the one that's more commonly accepted, is that uh, Talking Heads, to promote 77... They were on tour with the Ramones and where they were opening for the Ramones and they were in England and uh, the Ramones were getting really sick of talking heads because (laughs) they, they talking heads were just playing uh, James Brown in the van constantly. And the Ramones didn't like that because they liked like surf music and girl groups like the chiffons and everything and talking heads wanted to play James Brown constantly. And so they were getting, getting very upset. They didn't like this European tour. Um, they hated the food. They wanted to find a McDonald's and they do it. Oh my God. How great would it be to be a fly on the wall in that van with the Ramones and talking heads, (laughs) like hating each other, (laughs) like just getting, not getting each other as much as they were like, yeah, they were just like waspy, passive aggressive annoyance. Yes, exactly. So they go to England and this is according to one story and they do a gig and, and old sourpuss is there, uh, presumably arms folded the entire time, shaking his head. no, uh, directly at the stage, um, which endears him to, to uh, uh, Mr. Burns, the uh, our, our lead singer, Mr. Burns. Right. Excellent. Brian Eno is here. Um, so uh, Brian Eno asks Talking Heads to come back to his flat, as they call it, in, oh, yeah. uh, in England, which is, look, it's just a fancy way of saying apartment. Yeah, but I love it. I love hearing the word flat. Why do they even call it a flat, though? It's like... Because all sense. apartments in England are round, so you, you would think they would call it a round. Uh, they call it a sphere at the very least. Yeah, exactly. Like a biosphere. <laughs> Good movie. Yep. This is not I Love Films, though. This is definitely no, not no, I Love no, Films. No, 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 no. But at some point, we have to talk about biosphere. <laughs> so that's one version of the story that it happened in England. The other version I read is that Andy Warhol was a big fan of Talking Heads in the early days. 
Um, so much so that he, he, and I haven't been able to track this down, but he's, he even recorded a commercial for this album, more songs about buildings and food. Um, Hmm. and he told Brian Eno when Brian Eno was over in New York, Hey, you got to go check out talking heads at CBGB's. Um, Brian Eno went to the gig supposedly, um, really loved it. Came backstage. John Cale from the Velvet Underground also was there at this gig. Saw old sourpuss talking to talking heads, talking to their talking heads, and was like, hey, hey, dude, 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 get away from them. I want to produce them. I want to produce them. But old sourpuss fucking got it done, and he landed the gig. So he he, uh, invites talking heads back to either his flat or his apartment, depending on which country they're in. To his sphere. To his sphere. And sphere of music. And, uh... He is just like playing records, getting to know him, and he puts on a uh, an album by Fela Kuti, um, and basically, I, I saw an interview with Brian Eno where he was talking about Fela Kuti and and talking about how in the mid seventies, I think, he would just go into record stores and say, "Give me something that I've never heard of, hmm. like just like give me music that uh, that's totally unlike any music I know." And he saw this Fela Kuti album and with a bunch of musicians on the back and was like, oh, <laughs> this interview, he's like, I wondered what this group of musicians would make. So I bought the album. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting story from Old Sourpuss. Wow. That is such uh, a Sourpuss story. So uh, he plays the Fela Kuti album to, to uh, Talking Heads and he says, this is the future of music. And... Uh, David Byrne, at the very least, like goes wild for it and loves it. We'll we'll talk more about Felicuti on a, a a different episode because it plays more into Talking Heads history. But that's how Brian Eno got to know them, and uh, he decided to work with them. And here's here's like a really strange fact: before he decided to work with them, he's putting the finishing touches on his album before and after science which came out in 1977 the the year of our previous right. episode he puts out a song called king's lead hat now king's lead hat if you have a mind like mine you immediately see that and say oh well that's obviously an anagram for talking heads oh right because you tell me any combination of words and i can tell you what the anagram is really yeah seriously yeah anything Okay. Printed ceramic mug. Printed ceramic mug. I would say probably recriminated. Yes. That's really, that's pretty incredible. Thanks. I mean, it's just something I can do pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, you did that really fast. Um, blame game. Just below, you sounded yeah. like you were going to continue. I was going to, and then I stopped. Well, uh, the the largest word you can create out of it would be either embalm or emblem or That's beetle. Right. Wow. Um, that leaves a few of the letters off, but uh, yeah. So okay, yeah, how I about don't know. how about fart source? Fart source. Well, um, fractures definitely yeah, fractures. Which is ironic, considering that when a fart comes out of your fart source, it fractures your butt sometimes. <laughs> every time. <laughs> sometimes, every time. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, he, he puts out this uh, song, King's Lead Hat, which let's hear a little bit of it. Uh, it's sort of his tribute to Talking Heads, I guess, because it, to him it sounds like a Talking Heads song. So uh, let's hear this is King's Lead Hat. What do we think? And that sounds pretty rad to me. It does sound like a, a definite nod towards a, towards Talking Heads. He's sort of yelping around like in a David Byrne impression, sort of. Um, anyway, the remix of that became a single. Remix not commercially available on CD, I will say. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, so Brian Eno and David, uh, Mr. Burns, Old and old sourpuss, they hit it off really well and decide to work together. One thing I wanted to mention, by the way, because I read a lot of uh, uh, reviews that of of this album, uh, like from Rolling Stone, when the album came out, and everyone brings up the word preppy, which is something that I don't think we really talked about last episode, which is interesting. Okay, so the band's look, right? So when you're talking 1977, 78. Rock bands generally look a couple of different ways. They look like the fucking Eagles, <laughs> who I don't like to talk about, as well you know, with their fucking long feathered hair and their big ass beards and their jeans tight around their butts and flared out around their ankles. Their jeans tight around their butts? Tight around their butts. Oh. And they have, sometimes they have jeans tied around their butts, sort of like how you take a jean jacket and you tie it around your waist yeah, sometimes. But they, they would take another pair of jeans tied around their tied butt. around your butt. This actually is not a bad idea and perhaps a fashion uh, a choice for the future, um, especially during quarantine times. Anyone could do it. Um, send us your pictures of your jeans tied around your butt. Um, but you also could look like uh, like disco was sort of uh, starting around this time. So, you know, but it's basically the 70s. Everyone just looks like, you know, a cokehead or a scumbag, right? That's right. So, but then you have Talking Heads and they are all wearing Izod shirts. Right. Lacoste shirts. They have very short hair. Um, they, and they all, uh, it's kind of like, one of the first normcore bands, you know what yes. I mean? Like they're they're trying to look as normal as possible. And uh you know, David uh, Mr. Burns, he he like is always wearing button-up shirts with the uh, button all the way up to the top. And it kind of reminds me of like Vampire Weekend when we talked to Ezra about his his yeah, uh, dress sure. code in the early years, like what he would or wouldn't allow people to wear. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a very striking look for a band to come out and essentially, it's like Weezer also in a way, yes. like, like 
just looking like normal nerds. David Bur- uh, Mr. Burns looking like, um, you know, a, a skinny weirdo. And I guess in concert, sticking his neck out a lot and emphasizing like how skinny he was and how long his neck was. Um, so that was another, the, the visual style of the band was something that was, was very striking at the time, which we didn't bring up last time. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you have to add is yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you know, as, I mean, you can hear it here, but as the, as time goes on, you can definitely hear uh, Vampire Weekend in, in Talking Heads. You can hear a lot of influence there. I don't think is... we ever asked Ezra if uh, Talking Heads were a big influence on him, but I, I would imagine uh, they had to be. Yeah. And we should have Ezra back on for, I'm sure he would be into Talking Heads, right? Talking about Talking Heads to our Talking Head. That's right. Um. So anyway, that is the background. They, they, uh, old sourpuss took the band to uh, Jamaica, I believe, to record this, and uh, they recorded all the uh, basic tracks in about five days, and then took like months and months for all the overdubs and all the old sourpuss adding is like, I think this should sound with more echo. I think you're stuff. doing this wrong. <laughs> so. That is the background for the album. Um, and did they end up recording quite a bit at this studio in the Bahamas? It was the Bahamas, yes. Uh, I mean, like I say, they did they did the basic tracks in five days and then s- spent a long time. There. No, I know. I, I mean, like future records. I think they ended oh, up. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And you know what? Another album that was recorded at this same studio. Hit me with it, baby. The infamous Around the Sun from R.E.M. Oh, interesting. I would say uh, if if you had to put them side by side, much like two teachers holding hands, I would say that this is the better album to come out of. I would agree with you. Whoa! All right, well, we're going to be talking about this album. We're going to go through track by track when we come back. We do need to take a break, though. When we come back, we are going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food. We'll be right back with more You Talkin' Talkin' Heads to My Talkin' Head after this. Welcome back. You Talkin' Talkin' Heads to My Talkin' Head. And we're talking about more songs about buildings and food today. We're going to be going through track by track. Adam, there is one thing that uh, I wanted to talk about, which was the title, um, because there there's a lot of uh, uh, differing opinions on who gave Mr. Burns the title, more songs about buildings and food. Tina Verymouth, she says that she came up with it. Uh-huh. Um, I read one account that Chris Farts says that he came up with it. <laughs> But then um, Andy Partridge from XTC claims that he gave it to Mr. Burns. And Mr. Burns received it and said, yes, excellent. A wonderful title. How weird. Um, and, and that's in uh, the Wikipedia. And it, the footnote uh, uh, link goes to a tweet that has been deleted by Andy Partridge. So I don't know whether he recants that now. But I read it in more than one place that Andy Partridge says that he gave that to Mr. Burns. So there How we strange. go. You would think that something like that would would have one one person kind of narrative that everyone could sort of 
gather well, around. Well, you know, it that it happens with artistic ideas. Like, take for instance the comedy Bang Bang TV show. Um, anytime anyone brings up a sketch, um, you know, I'll say, "Oh, I wrote that," and then our writers, you know, might disagree or whatever. But uh, usually, I'm the one being interviewed, so and not them. That's why you don't interview writers. You know what I mean? Is because right. Yeah. So uh, I wrote everything. I know that uh, you mentioned this on the last, uh, the f- first episode of the show, but um, I read an article over the weekend about how Chris Farts is coming out with his memoir. Yes, it's out. When people are listening to this, it'll be out. Uh, oh, right. Not, okay. We have not received it yet. So, but by our next episode, I plan to have read it. And so we'll have. I am so uh, excited about that. We'll have a little more background, at least from Chris Fartz's point of view and perhaps <laughs> Tina Verymouth's point of view. George Harrison from the Beatles, there's a lot written about him. It's He's crazy. The, it's crazy that there's so much written about George Harrison's career, but it all focuses on Beatles stuff. I know, because it's just, I was thinking about that too. Like, George Harrison was in the Beatles and then he traveling Wilburys then traveling Wilburys and then straight to talking heads it's just talking heads it's crazy oh by the way I have speaking of traveling Wilburys this crazy I don't think I told you about this thing that happened like a year ago when I was um were you asked to be in the the traveling Wilburys (laughs) I was promoting uh Big Little Lies and I was doing uh Colbert right and you know, when you're doing a, t- a talk show, you try and come up with stories and w- bits or whatever that you can do to fill the time on the on the talk show, right? So I'm trying to think of stuff to to talk about, and I come up with this idea of of comparing Big Little Lies with saying that like Big Little Lies is the traveling Wilburys <laughs> of TV shows because and, it has so many like yeah, iconic- so many like superstars. And comparing each traveling Wilbury with one of the female stars of so Nicole Kidman, who who is that? I is did. That? I had it all lined up. It was uh, uh Reese was Tom Petty, Nicole was Dylan, um, maybe. Wait, or Harrison? I would say Dylan or Harrison. Nicole Kidman was George Harrison, I think. Yeah, from talking. Um, Meryl Streep was. Bob Dylan. She's Dylan. She's obviously Dylan. Yeah. Um, Laura Dern was Roy Orbison because Roy Orbison was the one that everyone in the Traveling Wilburys looked was like, up to. Yeah, they're like, "Can you believe we're fucking in a band with Roy Orbison?" And Laura Dern is such a great actress. That yes, like. and totally. And uh, yeah, George Harrison was Nicole Kidman because Nicole Kidman was in Days of Thunder. I think that was my reasoning. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, Shailene and Zoe Kravitz were both Jeff Lynn because they he was share like, Jeff Lynn. He was like the secret weapon that w- might be, you know, s- s- the, the best more, one or whatever yeah, it was. Better than all the rest, perhaps, and perhaps the most right. uh, r- responsible for the success of the group. Yeah. So I had this all mapped out and I and I pitched it to the Colbert show and they loved it. And, they, and I and I asked them if they if they could even mock up like. The, yeah, their faces on the, the on bodies. the album cover, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they did that, and so I go on Colbert, and we run out of time. And at the end, of, but I'm so preoccupied with it because I'm trying to memorize like what each one was and not right. forget. And so f- the Should've whole interview, the <laughs> the whole interview, I'm like. 
preoccupied with this and then we run out of time. And so afterwards, he's like, oh, man. So next time we'll get to this. And he pulls up. He had the album cover there with all the ladies faces like. So a couple months later, I'm doing uh, Corden and I'm like, oh, shit, I can do the traveling Wilburys thing on on Corden. And so go through the whole thing. I pitch it and then they mock up the album cover. So I'm (laughs) on Corden. And he's like, okay, so you have this traveling Worldberries thing. And I'm on there with Mindy Kaling, too. She's the other guest, and you're all on together. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, so traveling, and I kind of launch into this thing. And right away, right away, it's abundantly clear that no one in the audience knows who the traveling Worldberries are. They just don't. This is just, more of a Colbert bit. Right. Exactly. His audience would love this. Yeah. Exactly. So I go through the whole thing. And it takes so fucking long. Like, it uh, feels like it's like an hour. But once you start, you can't... Yeah, you can't just abandon it and say, like, right. uh, there's no Jeff Lynn. Right. So Mindy's kind of politely smiling through the whole thing. James is kind of looking at me like, dude... Shut the fuck yeah. up, you dumb <laughs> shit. The whole, I have to get through the whole thing. You so get dumb the- shit. Get in my car and sing karaoke. Right. So I get through the whole thing, and it's not great. And the audience p- was politely chuckling. I had to stop and explain who the traveling Wilburys are. It was, it was terrible. So after the show, we ask them, like, can you just not put that in the show? Because I was doing Conan like a week later, and I'm like, this is be better. On Conan. Yeah. So they, I, I don't think it took much convincing for them to cut it out of their show. <laughs> you said, would you please? And they said, done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, we had already done that. So they don't use it. I go to Conan. Same thing. They v- generously mock up the album cover for me. <laughs> so you have three of these three album of them covers. At this point. So I go on Conan. Which one was the best mock-up, by the way? If uh, you were... I think Colbert, it, from what I remember, it was the actual like record that right, they had right. with it. Okay. But, but they were all uh, wonderful, uh, similarly ill-conceived and 100% my idea. So I go on Conan and, you know, halfway through the interview or whatever, Conan's like, so what's this about? you know, uh, the traveling Wilburys and, <laughs> and I launch into it and it goes way worse than no! it did on, <laughs> on, 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 uh, on, uh, Corden. On they Corden. all have such similar names. It's hard to, Corden, Conan, come on guys. So immediately, right when I start, it's, it is silent, Ugh. right? Cause when it really comes down to it, the audiences for these things are all kind of the same, it's yeah, just they're tourists. all like rando tourists who are like, Ooh, they're waiting show? out in the sun and they don't remember yeah. the traveling Wilbur. And it's not like the traveling Wilburys. People in the sun don't remember traveling Wilburys. No, the sun sucks the Wilburys. They're a moon out of band. You. But it's not like the Wilburys have been kept afloat culturally. It is only <laughs> people like 40 and up who even remember. I mean, remember you got Jenny Lewis doing a cover of Handle with Care 12 but that's about years the ago. Of right. it. Yeah, exactly. So. Boy, I started so long you had to take a sip of water just to get through uh, it. Coffee uh, to keep myself awake. <laughs> so I start and it's even quieter. And I make a joke about if you're not 2000 years old, you don't know the traveling Wilburys. And I start going into this and it's 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 like the audience is way less polite than it's eating something that ate shit. 
than Corden. Yeah, it it's awful. And I stop and, and make a joke about how terrible this bit is. And Conan and Andy are like laughing along with me at how shitty it is. And we make bits about how bad it is. But I do go through the whole thing and it's awful. And I was really like embarrassed and felt badly that Conan was like letting me do this bit because usually I bring bits on or I try to bring bits on and sometimes they're they're always better than that or had always been better than that anyway we get done with it and I ask them ask the second producer if they would please not uh air that and he was like yeah we're already there don't worry about it (laughs) so there is talked to Corden's people already (laughs) there is yeah exactly there is still the lost uh big little lies traveling Wilburys bit that has yet to you got it. So you got to swing back around and do this on Colbert. <laughs> I know, and, I really do. And then tell this story that you just told on Corden and Conan. Oh man! And you know what? After the Conan bit, I realized like it's it it it's not funny. It's not culturally relevant, obviously, and that's part of what was maybe going to be funny about it. But it was so culturally irrelevant that people just didn't know what I was talking about. But I think also that, here here's how I would here's how I would punch it up. Instead of putting them all on one album cover together, you want to see them one at a time. You want to see, essentially, like if you're saying Meryl Streep is Dylan, you want to you want to say that, and then up comes a picture of Bob Dylan wearing his like flat hat or whatever his bolo hat with yeah. the beard, and then put Meryl Streep's face onto his face, and do that one at a time, yeah. and you'll get five laughs. See, that's what I what, what I should because rather than having them mock up a thing and then them just like and then you just pop it up for a long time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I should have had a card with a famous photo of each of them. Yes, with, and they yes. get more ridiculous. And and then you split Zoe Kravitz and the other person in half when that's it comes right. to Jeff Lynne. But, but the put thing the Jeff is, Lynne beard on both. The fatal flaw in the entire thing is that my the entire premise. The comedy premise was based on everyone knowing exactly who the Traveling Wilburys were and how funny it was. The Each kind of comparison wasn't even that funny. It was all depending on how funny it is to compare these iconic actresses with Traveling Wilburys. But no one knows who the Traveling Wilburys were, at least in these audiences. So there was no way, no matter how many pictures I had, it was going to work. But you're right. If I had just kind of shifted the premise... It would have. Mm. I think the fatal flaw here is, is that you have a bad brain. And yeah, that it was just terrible funny. to begin with. And I tried it three times. <laughs> you never learned your fuck. Like, did they, did Colbert really run out of time? Exactly. For that bit? You know, exactly. or, is he, or is he actually being way kinder to you than Corden and Conan is? Exactly. Did he know, like, Corden, not only Colbert, do I. Conan, God, guys, come on, cut it out. Not only do I barely find this funny, my audience is really not going to think <laughs> this is funny. Well, I think it's a good uh, story for this show, and especially germane to the Talking Heads, because George Harrison is a full-fledged member ever since 1977. That's right, George Harrison. It's, it's just three bands: Beatles, three bands, three Traveling iconic Wilburys, bands, Talking Heads. I mean, Paul McCartney. He could only stomach two iconic bands: yeah, the Jets and uh, whatever uh, the Beatles. He, the Jets, though, had a, a lot of hits. Traveling Wilburys had like one hit. Sure. But a solid. We we should do a show about that uh, that album because of that the Jets the well sure we should do something about the Jets as well. Um, 
But uh, uh, why were we talking about this? Because we were talking about George Harrison. In any case, yes. Uh, More songs about buildings and food. The the title of the record is uh, More Songs About Buildings and Food, which is a funny play on the fact that the previous record, 77, um, the subject matter of all of the songs had to do sort of with uh, unexpected subject matter that songs normally didn't talk about. Yeah. So, um, also, we should mention the cover of this record is really good. It's uh, probably, if I had to yeah, guess, it's, so cool. it's 250 to 500 Polaroids, uh, individual Polaroids that they put together into a, a collage of the band, which is really cool. Um, oh, 529, right there. They're all dressed in cool, like, normcore clothes. Yeah, they're all just wearing, like... I mean, George Harrison is wearing jeans. That's as rock and roll as it gets with them. The others are wearing like khakis. Um, so this was released in 1978 in, uh, uh, what's funny is Wikipedia doesn't even know. They're like, eh. oh, no, 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 they do. July 14, 1978. So um, I was looking at the recorded date. Um, no, released in July, July 14, 1978, approximately. Almost exactly uh, how long ago? Approximately 201 uh, years and 10 days after the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's right. That's that's the kind of marker and time you use for everything, right? Sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Um, so you want to, uh, Brian, you know, Old Sourpuss produces, adds a lot of uh, clicks and whistles to it. Do you want to go through this thing? What do yeah, you say? it's so good. All right, here we go. This is the first song. This is Thank You for Sending Me an Angel. You're welcome. Adam, I mean, the the one bummer about doing Talking Heads is I feel like more often than not I'm just gonna be like, You're gonna I like love it. this. Um, I think it's interesting. It's it's sort of a bridge from the previous album to this. There's not a lot of in- additional instrumentation that Old Sourpuss adds. It's kind of a little more of the classic sound of the previous album, which is for sure. And um, the album slowly sort of gets weirder and weirder yeah, as it goes yeah, along. For sure. Yeah. But this is uh this is definitely one of the good good songs on the record and um those the interplay between George Harrison's guitar work and uh, Mr. Burns with his rhythm guitar. Yep. Uh but and also then, uh, listen to Chris Farts on these drums. Yeah, he's I turned it up when he wasn't playing. And this song is sort of about love. 
There's a, a lot of bit. like relationship drama on this record. Well, <laughs> or like from a distance. From a distance. Here's the thing: is is there are a few songs on on this record which are about the subject matter of love, which yes. I would say is the most common subject matter uh, in in music, not only rock and roll. And I think Mr. Burns, coming from his art school background, and also Chris Farts, he went to art school, and uh, uh, Tina, Tina Verymouth. She wait, she, what? Uh, what? What's her name again? Verymouth. Verymouth. Like way, very, very mouth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, so uh, uh, they all went to art school. So I think that they're approaching in in this early record. They're approaching the subject matter of love uh, and trying to do a twist on it and trying to do something different. And so, and more and from a scientific point of sci- view or anthropological yeah. almost. Uh, and so, Mr. Burns with his lyrics, um, he seems to be more uh, on that song, sort of examining a, a relationship and, and pointing out kind of the flaws to it as far as I'm concerned. You can walk, you can uh, talk just like me. Like, uh, I don't know. To me, it's always been something about like couples who get together and start acting like each other. That's right. And there's a lot of like, you're a girl, I'm a boy, this is what we do on this album. On this album, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny because this is one of those songs where I'm so used to the version on Stop My... Stop making sense, and even on the Apple Music of, uh, of, which of song? this song, oh. um, uh, it wasn't on the original. Stop making sense, uh, but it's in the movie. It's in the movie, and then it's on the like special edition of the album that came out ten years ago or whatever. But right, um, uh, but even on Apple Music, if you play this song on this album, they play the Stop Making Sense version. And so you have to go back to the non-special edition of Buildings and Food to get the album version. Really? Of this song. See, this yeah, is weird. Why, this is why your insistence on streaming all of your music is makes insanity no to me. Yeah, it makes it makes less than no sense. Less than that penny that we were talking about earlier on our system. But I feel show. like even if I download it from Apple Music, it's still gonna download the wrong version. Yeah, for that's whatever. because you, you do you mean downloading from iTunes? No, it'll download the right version on iTunes. Well, Apple Music and iTunes are the same thing. They're not. Anyway, you're just exhausted. Oh, my God. You right. th- they're the same thing. Uh, should we listen to the Stop Making Sense version just to see no. how different it is? We're going to do a Stop Making Sense episode. Oh, okay. You Sounds good. Shit. Yeah, no, let's let's not paint outside the lines here. <laughs> All right, let's do track two. This is With Our Love. Listen to the two guitars. The two separate, playing two separate things. It's so good. It's fucking rad. It's just a look. Tina Verymouth is a star on this album, too. This shit, her bass lines are so good on this record. And they
So we're hearing uh, a lot more of Old Sourpuss's influence on this song. There's a lot more, especially if you listen to it with headphones on, there's a lot more like, you know, sounds happening in the background yes. and clicks and the instruments are, are treated a little differently. It's um, a deeper sound. It kind of yeah, this goes is, it, further back. It's interesting. When this record came out, um, it seemed like a step forward sonically to people yeah. where people were sort of like, oh, you're no longer kind of a television clone. Uh, you've pumped up the dance yeah. uh, element to it, the rhythm element to it, and then you've added all these interesting sounds with, with Old Sourpuss, so it, it, it got them taken seriously a little more than the previous record, which to some people sounded a little too akin to the uh, punk scene of CBGBs. Yeah. A little too much like television. Yeah, they were kind of carving out their own space here. That said, not my favorite song. I like it. Not my favorite on the record, but I, I like it. That's one that I have a hard time have a hard time enjoying. I don't know uh-huh. why. Like I appreciate it every time I hear, but uh, I, I will say with this record, let's uh, uh, just so you know the prism that I'm listening to it through. Um, so a lot of bands when they put out their second record, this is usually what happens. They put all they stack all of their best songs on their first record because it might be the only only one that they ever get to put out, right? Right. And then they've had, you know, five years or six years or whatever to write all those songs. It's all the and best. And tour songs them and written. get them perfect. And yeah. And then they have like three months to write the second album yeah. and record it. And they usually what usually happens is the second record is a collection of not as good songs and songs that they just wrote like that day yeah. or whatever. So yeah. it's uh, the sophomore slump usually refers to that where the second record is kind of a disappointment. What's interesting about this this album is I sort of feel that way about some of the songs. Uh-huh. I sort of feel like the songwriting isn't as good as the first record, but sonically it's better. So hmm. any case, in any case, that is uh, sort of uh, the how I'm listening to this. It's um, interesting because I since I got into them with Stop Making Sense, I went back and discovered these and kind of, discovered particularly these first two around the same time. So I feel like they're of the same era, even though they're, I mean, they are of the same they're era, all, but I feel like- are, Yeah, the, they're only a uh, year apart, but- Yeah, but as one rather than as you, two You view them records. as like a, a, a complete body of work where it's interesting reading about it, how much of, of just kind of, not a left turn this was, but it was received as like, oh, okay, we can take these guys seriously now yeah. because- they're, they've expanded their sound a little bit. And that does make sense because it does sound a lot better. Right. All right, let's hear track three. This is The Good Thing. I have found the line and its direction is known to me. 
right, let's talk about this song while it plays in the background because I love the end of it, by the way, so I want to hear the end when it comes up. But uh, this is from an interview with Mr. Burns in the AV Club where he kind of talks about how he wrote this song. He says uh, sometimes he would write songs based on an instruction he'd given himself, like a point of view. Um, This was an attempt by him to write a song that sounds like a bad English translation of a red Chinese anthem. (laughs) Um, sometimes he would get pamphlets like Mao in Art and Literature, and they had this weird filtered language that I loved because it has this approach to English that wasn't quite Japanese mangling of product names or catchphrases, but something close to that. Um, he found it very poetic and appropriate. So, and these lyrics, you can hear them... Uh, A straight line exists between me and the good things. I have found the line, and its direction is known to me. Absolute trust keeps me going in the right direction. So this stilted kind of uh, language for a song called The Good Thing, which is such a, like, bland anagram title. Um, But I want to get to the That's so funny. That makes so much sense. This is the part I love. Tina Verymel. So that is the good thing. I love that end part. That's yeah. uh, and her baseline is so good on that. Um, this I love is a, that song. This is, that's a really good one. Um, and it sort of slipped under the radar to me all these years. And just uh, listening to the album over the past couple of weeks, it's become a favorite. Um, this is yeah. track four. This is warning sign, and this is definitely one that Brian uh, Old Sourpuss was like, "Sounds too good. Make it sound shittier." <laughs> Um, because if you listen to the song, it sounds like something off Wrong. the last track. <laughs> no, no, no. If you listen to the song, it sounds like something off of 77, but it's produced, you know, he put turns a lot of echo up, makes everything sound weird. Anyway, this is warning sign. Here we go. Echo on the drums. There you go. It's like Octune, baby. Exa- this is exactly, yeah, that drum sound in Octune, baby.
Um, so it definitely an interesting song. The lyrics are can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Um, he talks about how he has money now. The, the, the part that really sounds like the alien, he's explaining his haircut at one point. He's saying, uh, look at my hair. I like the design. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a funny way of saying that. But uh, It's not, very fear of music-y. It sounds like it could be like... Yeah, not quite uh, sure what it's about, but uh, uh, a, a cool sounding song although i would you know there there is an alternate version that you can get on the bonus rarities and outtakes but it sounds just as weird i would love to hear just like a straightforward 77 Mm -hmm. um version but uh that that is not available all right this is track uh five the girls want to be with the girls and this is sort of about love in a way let's hear What do you think, Adam? I mean, I like the way it sounds. It's not the, you know, I wouldn't put it up there as an example of great songwriting of David Byrne. Mr. Burns. Uh, Interestingly enough, I think on The Tonight Show, uh, Cindy Williams, who played uh, Shirley on Uh Laverne and Shirley, she, for some reason, I read the story that she held up the record and pointed out this this uh, the t- the title of this track and said the girls want to be with the girls and kind of laughed about it like it was weird but also she was intrigued by it. Um, I don't know whether the band was on the Tonight Show or they must have been. Otherwise, why would she be holding up the the record? But I think that's an interesting show business story. Strange. Um, I lacking context. I like two thirds of that song. I would say. Uh-huh. I I love the big. Beginning in the second part, and then the third part loses me. All right, but this is this is, in my opinion, a stolen cold classic. An SCC. This is found a job. This oh, yeah. uh, ends side one of the record. Damn Let's hear it. Found a job.
let's talk about the song until uh, over it, until it gets to the groove at the end, which is just unstoppable. So this is a song basically about a couple who are, they, they each have jobs and they're fighting uh, when they're together at night about what's on TV and how there's nothing good on TV. And um, they, they sort of realize that they're unhappy in their jobs and so they decide to start making their own TV shows which is the Judy's in the bedroom inventing situations. Bob is on the street today scouting up locations. They've enlisted all their family. They've enlisted all their friends. It helped save their relationship and made it work again, which is such a funny idea for a song like a couple who's decided to make their own TV show. Um, But uh, there's some lyrics at the end that says, so think about this little scene, apply it to your life. If your work isn't what you love, then something isn't right. Which I I can't tell if Mr. Burns is like making fun of these, this couple or whether he liter- legitimately thinks this is a a lesson people need to learn. You know, quit your job if it's not making you happy. I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time se- really sensing what is sarcasm and what is not in this song. I don't know. I I think like a lot of Talking Heads stuff, it's just kind of. He just kind of sets up these weird parables and lets them just sort of lie there and lets you kind of make what you want of them. But he has a lot of judgment in a lot of his parables, you know, where uh-huh. he's sort of sneering at some of the people a lot of, a lot of times, especially early on when he's fresh out of art school and he's kind of young and just like, you know, he, he seems judgmental about things. And I can't tell whether he's judging the couple involved or whether, oh, here's the, here we go. This is so good. Someone should sample this for a song. It's such a good part. I, I, I One day when I was in college in acting school, my music teacher, my friend Jeremy, who's a great guy, we're still friends now, uh, he was on the Bang Bang TV show a couple of times, his husband was on a couple of times. Um, I, I came into a classroom, I think, for a private tutorial with him. And he was just completing doing aerobics to this song. <laughs> and so Whoa. anytime I anytime I hear this, I imagine him dancing to it, which is like not such a bad memory to have when it comes to a song. It's a good aerobics song, actually. It really is. Um, this is also a great uh, Stop Making Sense track. Oh, totally. Um, anyway, great song. Oh, by the way, we didn't talk about how the transition from the previous song, The Girls Want to Be With The Girls, into Found a Job is like an amazing sort of I don't remember what that is here let's just hear the end of the girls want to be with the girls and we'll hear the transition into this it's sort of in the same uh, beat like a dun 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 yeah three that's cool. Damn that. Yeah, it's cool. Um, all right. This is uh, side two uh, or the middle of the CD or the playlist, wh- however you're listening to it. This is artists only. So found a job is the last song on side yeah. one, right? Yep.
So, this is, uh, the lyrics to this were written by their friend from art school, uh, Wayne Zeeve, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He he actually gave them the, the their band name, Talking Heads. He suggested it. And so this is sort of like the lyrics are, a, are some cliches about artists, basically in art school. Like you, you have him say, you can't see it till it's finished. I don't have to prove that I'm creative. Um, he's cleaning his brain, which I guess is a technique to like get rid of things out of your brain and just like connect yourself. It's sort of the don't think, uh, the UCB model. Anyway, what do you think of the song, Adam? I mean, it's fine. I feel like it's sort of maybe filler uh, a little bit. It's kind of a lesser song on the record for me. It's interesting. A lot of people think this is one of the major songs on the record. Really? And yeah, and I, I have always had a little bit of a hard time getting into it because of the melody. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's very kind of groove heavy and a lot of instrumental sections, but I, I've never really thought the melody is all that great. No, it just, it's not really hooky in any way. And it's hooky album on the most part for the most part, but check this out. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, but a lot of people, I think people will be upset that we don't like it, but um, let's see. Okay. This is the next track. This is I'm not in love, not the 10 CC song. This is I'm Not In Love by Talking Heads. This is, I think the guitar riff is sort of a precursor to Life During Wartime. This yeah, is another, totally. This is another one that is kind of like the last song where I have a hard time getting into it. But I appreciate it. I I love it because of this groove and that riff and, and everything. Um, I think Interesting lyrics that are examining a relationship, uh, sort of like an alien would. But, but for some reason, I just, I'm not into the melody. Yeah, I I like it sounds like it would be incredible live in 1978. But I agree that it's But hey, it's 2020. Life during wartime uh is an improvement on the same sort. More of like riff. light during wartime. <laughs> oh my god. Thanks, bro. Appreciate the laughs. Yeah. I'll take them where I can get them. Uh this is Stay Hungry. This is uh the ninth song on the record. This is a sex song, Adam. This is a lot like sex rap that we talked about on our uh, sister show. 
really, what is the difference between this and sex rap? He's being a little, he's disguising it more. This and sex rap? Because he's, the, the lyrics are all like, I think that we can signify our love now, meaning have sex. Oh girl, you can initiate an impulse of love. His boner. <laughs> stay hungry, stay hungry, stay hungry. Move a muscle. Make a motion. Pull it tighter. Double beaten. Palpitation. Stay hungry. Here's that rhythm again. Here's my shoulder blade. Here's the sound I made. He's talking about fucking bro. Gross. Gross, Mr. Burns. We don't want to hear you fuck. This is what if the, is this what it sounds like when he brings the band when in people when people have fucks? sex. <laughs> I guess I've never had sex before other than listening to this song. Uh, do you like this? This I uh, do. I like this song. I like this. I like the chorus of it. Stay yeah. hungry. Stay hungry. Um, all right. This is this is the big hit off the record. Pretty deep in the uh, in the album. This is track ten of eleven, and uh, this is a cover of an Al Green song. And uh, this is "Take Me to the River." We uh, we'll play it and we'll talk about it in the middle. same sort of year 1977 1978 four white guys came out with covers of this song i think fog really was first yeah so fog hat was uh, essentially so al green wrote this in the early 70s and put it on his record but they didn't put it out as a single instead they gave it to another uh singer on the label who was a soul singer as well um but I think the Al Green song is the classic version. And then Foghat was first, I think. And then Levon Helm from the band came out with it. And then I think Talking Heads was next. And this was a big hit. This was this went to number 23 on the charts. Which and for their second album is a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. They were on SNL uh, playing it, which is a really funny appearance uh, for from I think it's funny because for a long period of the song there's a camera guy 
trying to crouch and get out of the shot, and he's in the shot the entire time, just so he can get a shot of Chris Fartz's drums uh, from underneath the drum, which they cut to it. He's there for so long, like, I got the shot, I got the shot. They cut to it for a second, and then they cut away from it, and then he's just sitting there, lying there in the background of the performance the entire time. That's hilarious. I want to see that. But then uh, uh, Brian Ferry put out his version just a couple of months after Talking Heads. Really? Yeah. Like, and and I knew that Brian Ferry had put out his version, and I guess I had always assumed that he was first, and Talking Heads were sort of copying him. But uh, no, it was it was the reverse. No one. I don't think anyone was copying each other. It's just like very odd that four white guy fronted. Uh, combinations put out a cover of this song at the same time um and talking heads was the successful one it was kind of doing something with soul music it was kind of almost a take on soul music like dave mr burns is obviously not singing it like a soul singer he's singing it in his yelping uh a white guy way and and if you watch the snl performance he's like very in it and very creepy while he's doing it. it, it so it's it's almost like a a commentary on soul music. When did, how old was the Al Green song at this point? I think Take Me to the River was 72. Let me look oh, okay. that so, up. It was uh, 74. So really four years old, but when they recorded it, three years old. Um... I can't find the SNL uh, version. Is it on YouTube or is it somewhere else? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh-huh. It, it doesn't necessarily say SNL on it, but the first video that comes up. Um, anyway, big hit. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, it's great. I I, I prefer the Stop Making Sense version just because it's there's so much more energy to it and stuff. But yeah, it's great. I think I think we probably heard the stop making sense version first For sure. as well and so we're used we like I became used to that but I think there what's interesting about this version is it is definitely weird and that's yes. the point that's the point of it is hey we're going to do this soul cover and make it sound weird and make it sound nervous and and sketchy yeah and that's what people were res- responding to when they first heard it of like oh wow this is this is odd yeah it's definitely bizarre and then the Stop Making Sense one is like widescreen fun. and Yeah, they actually, because they have a lot of people of color in their band, they actually yeah. kind of do it a little more like a soul song, which is yeah. cool. Um, this is the last song on the record. This is called The Big Country, which uh, the title was taken from a Roxy Music song um, that was referring to Texas. But this is Mr. Burns's commentary on flyover states, essentially. This is The Big Country. Hmm.
So I'm, I'm going to talk over it just a bit before we get to the chorus, just because you hear it, you hear the traditional instrumentation, the sort of slide guitar, and he's talking about all these, this nice imagery. He's like on a plane looking down and seeing the middle of the country. And here's the punchline. I wouldn't live there if you paid me. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't live like that. No, Surrey. I couldn't do the things the way those people do. I couldn't live there if you paid me to. Essentially, like a big, uh, uh, pretty direct, kind of like duping people into <laughs> like a punchline here, which is kind of funny. The song ends with him saying, like basically making baby noises, goo goo ga ga ga, goo goo ga ga ga. Um, kind of a mean, uh, mean song. Yeah, I, I, I like but this really song. Pretty. But I feel like that chorus should have been more of a big soaring change from the rest of the song. Well, I, I think it and would have been if it was a later Talking Heads. Song. If it's a later Talking, see, this is the thing. This is the difference between this period Talking Heads and later Talking Heads. If this was on Little Creatures, for exactly. instance, he would have leaned into sincerity at least, even if he's doing it at a remove because it sounds like a little creature's song yeah but instead he's doing it basically he's doing like the rope-a-dope and he's he's luring you in so yeah you go wow this is nice and pretty so he can go like fuck you <laughs> but you can see those same words in the chorus going big soaring going, beautiful yeah. catchy here how would you do it go <laughs> if you paid me there you go. That's exactly exactly right. But a pretty song. Yeah, it is. All right, Adam. There aren't a lot of uh, there are a lot of like alternate versions, but I don't think any of them hold a candle to the actual uh, versions that that came out. There is an interesting "Stay Hungry" that was they recorded for '77, I believe, that they didn't use. But uh, other than that, everything is kind of like shittier versions. Right. But uh, and no, and no B sides or anything like that. So more songs about building and food. Album number two, how do we feel about it, Adam? I mean, it's terrific. I think they the next record of theirs is where they really step up and become like a world-class uh, band. Uh, but th- these first two records are fantastic. They're still figuring it out, and then they become kind of world-class. I think I, I, I mentioned it a little bit beforehand. I've always preferred 77, um, even though you could look at 77 and say, oh, wow, it sounds too much like other stuff, like television or whatever. I just think the songwriting is, I prefer the simplicity of the uh-huh. songwriting a little better. Yeah, I get The that. directness of the songwriting. Um, but I, I do appreciate this record and I like listening to it. But I, I would say if I were putting on a Talking Heads album for enjoyment purposes, this is not one that I always went to when I was For the younger. purposes of enjoyment. Sure. <laughs> I sound like Mr. Burns. I'm going to put this on for the purposes of enjoyment. <laughs> it's the name of their new uh, album. 
<laughs> um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, next time, we're going to be talking about the uh, album Fear of Music. Uh, you excited about that? I sure am. That was my favorite one for a long while. All right. Well, um, speaking of Little Creatures, let's uh, play something off Little Creatures to take us out that's a, a little bit akin to that song. Um, this is Creatures of Love, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. But until then, the one thing I will say is we hope that you found what you're looking for. Bye. Bye.